So, Father, we believe that today. We believe that, that in Christ alone our hope is found. And, Lord God, so our hope, Lord, is not found in our jobs, our finances, our titles, our cars. It's not even found in the opinions of others. It's found in you. How freeing is that, Lord Jesus? So, Christ, be exalted, be lifted up. You've been exalted in our worship. Now be exalted through the preaching and proclamation of your word. God, it's to that end that I'm available to you. Use me, Father, greatly and deeply. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, let me just tell you, um, I'm not too excited about this passage of Scripture we're in. Because what happens to you when you are um, preaching what's called expositionally, that is, you're just letting the text set the agenda, opening up the Bible, and just kind of making your way verse by verse by verse, uh, you'll run into some passages of Scripture that ain't popular. You'll run into some passages of Scripture um, that you want to gloss over. And um, this is this is one of those one of those passages. But my commitment to you, however long I'm here, and I hope they bury me in the bay. But my commitment to you is to not just tell you what you want to hear. My commitment is to give to you what Paul told the Ephesians, the whole counsel of God. And um, so that is sort of like your mom was cooking, right? Growing up, there were some nights you were like, yes. Is what I'm talking about. Chicken nuggets and french fries. And the next night it's broccoli casserole. Or squash casserole. Or eggplant. Or whatever vegetable ain't going to make it in the new heavens and new earth. Turn, tell somebody this is squash casserole. You may not like it, but it's good for you. All right? Here we go. Here we go. Verse 1, 1 Peter 3. Likewise, wives, be subject. I knew I wouldn't hear any amens on that one. <laughs> Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Wow, bless you. <laughs> Let me set the record straight. That was not my wife who said that. It wasn't her. So that even if some do not obey the word, then underline this phrase, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. Let me just stop right here. I really don't have time to unpack this. He is not saying women can't braid their hair. He's not saying you can't have your Louis Vuitton purse. He's not saying you can't have the jewelry. What he is saying is emphasize character over Louis. Amen. That's what he's saying. Four, verse 5, this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. I, I promise you that's in the text. <laughs> calling him Lord. Have mercy. I ran that by my wife this week. She wasn't praying with me. 
And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Last verse. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, underline this phrase, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Story is told of a, of a group of uh, four golfers who were out enjoying a round of golf one day. And um, they hit their shots onto the green. They made their way onto the green. It just so happened that um, as they were lining up their putts on the green, uh, that that across the green was a busy street, and on this street was a long procession of, of cars who in the middle of the day had their headlights on, which means it was a funeral. One of the golfers in the group, when he sees these long procession of cars with the headlights on, takes off his cap, removes his cap, puts his hand with his cap in it over his heart, bows his head, and he does so until the last car in the funeral procession goes by. The other golfers in the group are astounded. Uh, finally, when the last car goes by, he puts his cap back on his head and um, goes back to lining up his putt. And the other guy said, no, 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 we, man, we've been playing golf for years, man. We've, we've never seen you show so, such compassion. We've never seen you display such sensitivity. Man, this is, this is amazing to think that you would do that, remove your cap, bow your head, and wait for the whole funeral procession. Man, man that, that, that touches us. And the guy says, the least I could do, we were married 35 years. There are a lot of bad marriages out there. A lot of bad marriages. I don't need to belabor this point, but you and I live in a society where divorce and broken marriages are the norm. So much so that, that the younger generation wholesale is giving up on the institution itself. Back in the 1960s, New York Times recently gave this data that back in the 1960s, uh, that over 70% of all adults in the United States were married. In the 1960s, over 70% of all adults in the United States were married. Now, in our day, that number has actually fallen from over 70% to just about 50%. The reason for this is you understand that one, just about one in two marriages fail. That 50% of all marriages end up in divorce. If I were to line up a hundred couples across the stage, statistically speaking, at least 50 of those couples aren't going to make it. My wife and I were recently even bemoaning the fact when we first started dating there in Los Angeles, there's a group of us at our church, uh, couples who just so happened at the same time to start dating uh, the people we would end up marrying. And um, almost 18 years later, my wife and I are bemoaning the fact that it's just us and one other couple out of this large group of couples who dated, got engaged, and actually married who are still standing. Now, let me ask you a question. One in two marriages fail. That statistic is not just for folk outside the church. That statistic is also true inside the church, which is baffling. People who claim to have the spirit of God living inside of them 
are not having better marriages than those who don't have the Spirit of God inside of them. Now, let me ask you a question. If one of every two airplanes crashed, would you fly? <laughs> now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you're not flying. You're going to hop in a car and you're going to look for another alternative. In 2011, New York Times article says for the first time in the history of our nation that while the marriage rate decreased, the cohabitation rate, from my side of the tracks, the shacking up rate, increased. Folk are giving up on marriage. One out of every two are crashing. And the younger generation is wondering where's the hope. Now, what I haven't touched on so far are those marriages that are holding on by a thread, and it could be your marriage. I haven't even dealt with um, that middle-aged married couple, and you've all seen them. You're you're going out to eat, and it's a middle-aged married couple, and you're just kind of glancing over their table, and what you realize is they really don't have anything to say to each other. In fact, they talk more to the server than they do to each other. They engage their, their smartphones more than they engage each other. For couples like this, maybe on their wedding day, two words were sprayed across the back of their cars, just married. Now, decades later, those same words still apply, just said a different way, just married. Too many couples not only are not experiencing flourishing, thriving marriages, But honestly, it's like they're shacking up, even though they're married. They're sharing physical space, sharing bills, but not really sharing hearts and lives. This is not what God intended. You need to understand that when Peter sits down to write his letter, he is writing to a society that, like ours, knew nothing but brokenness when it came to the institution of marriage. In fact, a case could be made that marriage was even more so in crisis during the Roman times than it is during our times. For during the Roman times, it was a a system in which the man held all the cards. Men would, would openly carry on affairs openly with other women, at times even other men wouldn't even try to hide it. The women, their wives, would know about it, and in most cases wouldn't say anything. Men could divorce their wives for any and every reason, but wives could not divorce their husbands. The stories are told, if you just kind of read the literature of antiquity, there are story upon story of men divorcing their wives over frivolous reasons. If he didn't like the way she cooked, he could divorce her. If she went out into public without a veil on, he could divorce her. If he heard of her going to the local coliseum to take in a gladiator game, he could divorce her. And when a woman was divorced by her husband, she had no rights. There was no alimony payments. There was no child support payments. She was just kicked out onto the streets. And you need to understand this, that for most divorced women... The only way they could have a means of making it financially is to enter into prostitution. So when you read your Bibles and you you read of prostitutes, you need to think in your mind, this woman was probably married at some point and the husband divorced her. 
Now that sheds a new light. Just let me just draw a parenthesis here. John chapter four, the woman at the well, Jesus sits down and has a conversation with the woman at the well. And he says to her, you've had four husbands and the one that you're living with is not your, your, your own. And, and we immediately think that well, this woman, she's just some wretch of a woman and she's messed up all these relationships. If you're just dealing with the culture of the time, no, what's probably happened is these men have just broken her heart. They've divorced her and divorced her and divorced her and divorced her. And that explains among other reasons why Jesus has so much compassion for her. Now Peter sits down and he writes, not just a culture who knows only brokenness and divorce, but watch this. He is now writing understanding that Christianity is birthed in this culture of fractured and floundering relationships. And now what Christianity does, watch it now, it initially poses a bigger threat to married women. Because the problem is, it was understood that married women would now have to worship the gods of their married husbands. And if their husbands, if they did not worship the gods of their husbands, their husbands would divorce them. But here's the problem. Now Christianity, this new thing comes along. And now what you have are wives who are converting to the faith, but their husbands haven't converted. And now this new faith tells them you can't uh, worship any other gods. So now these wives are now faced with the prospect of being divorced by their husbands. What are they to do? It's in this context that Peter picks up a pen and he addresses it. He says in verse 1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Here's what he's saying to them. Wives, hang in there. The God in you can use you to change your husband. Wives, your marriage can become a powerful instrument of transformation, hope, and healing in the culture in which you live. This is a good word. We need a bigger vision for marriage than just my happiness. We need a bigger vision for marriage than just my fulfillment. We need a bigger vision for marriage than just my security. What if God wants your marriage to be a city set on a hill in which a society who's giving up on the institution wholesale can look at your marriage, see how you treat your wife or how you treat your husband and say, now I have hope. Dr. Richard Banks professor right down the street here at Stanford. He's written a wonderful book called Is Marriage for White People? And in this book, he says these words. Over the past half century, African Americans have become the most unmarried people in our nation by far. We're the least likely to marry and the most likely to divorce. We, be, we maintain fewer committed and enduring relationships than any other group. Not since slavery have black men and women been as unpartnered as we are now. Now, I don't say this pick on black people. I say this to make a larger point. My parents are two African-Americans, been married, celebrating just 45 years. My parents intuitively understood that marriage was more about them. 
that God wanted their marriage to be a light that shines amidst a community specifically that has been ravaged by broken homes. So the norm for me growing up, my dad subscribed to this policy of always keeping out an extra plate. Most of my buddies growing up did not have fathers in the home. They came from divorce situations. They would do sleepovers at my house. Guys like Carlton McDuffie, I can still see his face now. He would sit at my table. He had never met his biological father. Would sit at my table and his mind would be blown as he's seeing a black man open up the scriptures with his family, walking through the Bible, loving his wife as Christ loved the church. This is what he saw. Recently, Carlton and I had a conversation. Carlton, I asked him, I said, man, I hadn't seen you in years. How are you doing? He says, man, it's been rough at home. He said, said, in fact, you, you need to understand, I was about to leave my wife. I said, well, what stopped you? He says, literally, I'm packing my bags. And as I'm packing my bags, a book falls off the bookcase. It is a book written by your father, he said, called Never Walk Away. He said, I picked up this book, and immediately I thought about all the dinners we had at your house, man. I thought of the way I saw your dad love your mom. I saw the example. He says, and with tears streaming down my face, I began to unpack my bag and I'm hanging in there with my wife because I saw a model of what it looks like to have a godly marriage in which people are loving one another deeply and dearly. Friends, I just want to speak for my soul here. This coming generation, millennials, who are giving up on marriage, they need to see you hang in there. They need to see a light. This generation doesn't have a blueprint. They don't have a blueprint for what it looks like to love someone as Christ loved the church. So I want to talk about flourishing marriages. What does that take? Here's Peter. He says... Your marriage can be a witness to the world. Here's how it happens. He takes it apart. He spends the first six verses talking to the wives. And he tells them in so many words, wives, there is one thing your husband needs. Last verse, he talks to the husband. Now, again, question is, why does he spend so much time talking to wives? Because he's dealing with a unique problem. It's not that wives bear the burden, but in that society, unique problem. And the unique problem was, what do married newly converted Christian wives, how are they to navigate marriage to a husband who has yet to convert? That's why he spends so much time talking to wives. Okay. So we understand that. And then he's going to end with saying, husbands, there's one thing your wives need. All right. So let's, so let's, let's deal with this. Here it is. Wives, there's one thing your husband needs. Here it is. Verse one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Yeah, no amens. I got it. Some, some lady over there, was, I saw her trying to roll her neck a little bit. Someone rolling it. What do you, what do you mean here, pastor? Be subject. Now, now let, let me just deal with the elephant in the room here. Women, you should bristle at this. Because if you understand anything about world history, from day one, just about in every single civilization and culture has been dominated by domineering paternalistic men. 
Women have been treated as less than fully human almost since day one. So I don't have time to give you a whole history lesson, but, but if you just even look in Roman times, did you know in Roman times women could not serve as witnesses in court because the Romans deemed them to not be credible witnesses because they were deemed to be intellectually inferior? I could take it to medieval times. In medieval times, in many cultures, during medieval times, they would not let a pregnant woman use anything to blunt the pain of childbirth because it was thought she was going against the mandate of the curse which says there will be pain in childbirth. So there would have been no epidurals for you during that time. It's hard to imagine, even in our own United States of America, it's not to the early part of the 20th century where women for the first time are given the right to vote. Even to this day, you take a woman doing the same job as a man on average, she will make significantly less doing the same job. And in the midst of all this, of course something in you should bristle when Peter says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now we've got to parse this out. And if you're here today, you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, I just want you to understand that what it means to be a Christian means that we let this guide us and not the culture. So I just want you to understand the Bible is very clear on some things here. Let me begin with what being subject does not mean. Peter is not saying that women must be subject to every man. Just your man. Hear it. Likewise, wives, be subject, here it is, to your own, your own, your own husbands. Secondly, this idea of being subject is not a statement of inequality. Listen to what he says in verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. Here it is, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Hear me, men and women are equal in essence, unequal in function. I know this ain't popular. So just like we'll go to work tomorrow and there will be someone over us who is responsible for us, but is not intrinsically better than us. So the divine order in the household is God has ordained it that husbands who are equal to their wives are responsible for their wives. Oh, you need some more Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, who sinned first? Now, y'all act like y'all don't know that story. Some of y'all don't. Now, we're not saying Eve is worse. But she sinned first. Now you would think God would come calling for her first. He doesn't. She sins first, but God comes calling for Adam. Why? Because Adam was supposed to be her covering. He was supposed to be responsible for her. Not better than her, but responsible for her. But instead, the text says that after she eats, having talked to a snake, she now turns to her husband who was with her, which means he was watching a snake talk to his wife the whole time and didn't say a word. Passive. So this is not a statement of inequality. Men and women equal in essence. Galatians 3.28 says in Christ there's neither male nor female. Equal in essence. Unequal. In function. Third thing I want you to see. 
To be subject is not for weak women. A weak woman can't do this. Are you with me on that? A weak woman cannot do this. Can't do this. It takes a strong woman to do this. Next thing. To be subject does not mean that that wife has to do everything that husband tells her. Need I remind us that this same phrase, be subject, we discussed it in talking about government. And what we said in government, Christians get a loophole. And that loophole is we are expected to exercise civil disobedience if government ever tells us to do anything that contradicts God's word. In Ephesians 5.22, Paul says it this way, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, which means the wife also gets to exercise marital civil disobedience if her husband is asking her to do anything that contradicts the will and word of God. Now, here's the key. What this tells me is any husband who beats his chest and says, submit, woman, submit, 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 is a strong indicator light. You doing it wrong. What you want to do as a husband is you want to live in such a way that it makes it easy for her to submit. That's why he used the example of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, here he is, the great hall of faith chapter, a man of God providing for his family, loving his wife. He's a man of faith, a man of character. So what does it mean to be subject? Here it is. Women, here's the one thing. If you're, if you're married, here's the one thing your husband needs from you. If you're a single woman, here's what you need to be positioning yourself into. If you feel like uh, one day God wants you to be married, the one gift primarily among others, not a comprehensive list that husbands need from their wives. We have to have it. It is summed up in the word respect. We have to have it. We all know that song. Aretha sang it. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. Take care of TCB. And some of y'all singing, Sakatumi, 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 Sakatumi. Aretha sang it, but do you know who wrote it? A man, Otis Redding. Woman didn't write that. A man wrote that. Women, your husbands have a felt, deep-seated need. And that need is to be respected. Women, some of, one of the worst things you can do is to open up your mouth and say hard, abrasive things that, that dehumanizes him. We have a felt need to be respected. Now, this doesn't mean, and if you know anything about my wife, I didn't marry a yes woman. It's just, this doesn't mean you can't admonish. This doesn't mean you can't speak your mind. This doesn't mean you can't offer a contradictory opinion. But it's all about, with men, it's all about how you say it. It's all about how you package it. Okay? My mentor tells at the time, it's quiet in here. Uh, my, my, 
My mentor tells at the time he went to go visit his uh, great, great aunt Nadine and great uncle Arthur. And they'd been married over 50 years by this time. And my, my, my mentor, Charles, talks about uh, the time he went to go visit uh, his great aunt, great uncle. And he walks into the house and um, exchanges pleasantries. And him and his great uncle, Arthur, they're now sitting down, sitting, sitting down in the living room watching TV. And uh, while watching TV, uh, his great uncle, Arthur, calls out to Nadine, who was reading the newspaper in the kitchen. He says, Nadine. She says, yes, Arthur. Can you bring me a glass of water? She says, yes, Arthur. She gets the water. Brings it into him a little while later. Arthur says, Nadine, I'm hungry. Can you cook me some dinner? She said, yes, Arthur. She cooked the dinner, put it on the plate, brought it to him. A little while later, Arthur says, Nadine. She says, yes, Arthur, I'm finished eating. Can you come get my plate? Nadine said in just the sweetest way, Arthur, if your hind parts could talk, they would say, get up off of me. She said it just so sweet and so nice. She didn't cuss him. She didn't talk about his mama. She just kind of let it out there. You dropped a little hint in a respectful manner. Wives, hear me. This is not about being a doormat. Speak your mind. Offer a different opinion. Push back. I mean, my, my wife has that gift, Okay. We have those conversations, but she's incredibly respectful. It's all about how you package it. Now, 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 let, 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 let me just say one thing. And, and husbands, I'm going to tell you right now, do not say amen. Do not say amen. You got me? You're going to want to say amen. Don't say it. If there's a man sitting next to you, say, don't say it. Don't, 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 don't say it. Now, look at what he does here. Yeah, I love this. Peter's, now, he's talking to women, and the women is, uh, you, one of the questions women are probably saying now, my husband's got this problem, he's not saved, how does he get saved? Look at what he says. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, I love it, they may be one without a word, without a word, without a word. Don't say it, husbands. Don't, don't say amen. I know you're going to say it. What is Peter saying? Let me give you the Greek. Don't nag. Nagging don't work with us. <laughs> We're going to pass right over that. So what Peter is saying is don't follow him around in the morning, chirping in his ear. Have you gotten saved? Have you gotten saved yet? Have you gotten saved? Don't send him a text message in the middle of the day praying for you. Have you gotten saved? Have you gotten saved? Then at night, don't do something passive aggressively. You know, uh, we should memorize John three sixteen together. You know, have you gotten saved? No, no, no. Say it once. Then maybe you remind him once and he's got it. Let it go. Women, I, I just got to say this. I just got to say, I'm, 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 I'm getting to the men. I'm getting to the men. But, but just let me, let me just say this. Here's what the Bible says about nagging. You ready for this? Women, write down Proverbs 27, 15. Men don't say a word. Hear it. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. I didn't say that. God said it. He said it. All right. So women, let me just tell you, there are times when I was going to do it, but you said it again. It just doesn't, it just, it just, it just doesn't. Really, so trust God. You just got to trust God. 
Tell him once, remind him, then go to your prayer closet and hope he remembers. All right. So what have we said so far? If you want a marriage that thrives, women, the primary gift, the primary gift you need to give your husband is that of respect. Respect. Now, husbands, what do our wives need? Look at verse seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. And this is so countercultural in Peter's day. The only place in Roman society that you would ever get instructions that women are heirs with men, are equal with men. The only place you ever heard that was the church. You didn't hear it anywhere else. That was the only place you got that teaching. So what does he say to men? He says, I want you to show honor to your wives. The idea of showing honor in the Greek, which is the original language Peter is writing in, it literally means to put on a pedestal. It literally means to esteem. Women, what do our wives need from us? This is not the only thing. This is not the only thing. Our wives, and I'm choosing my language carefully, they have a felt need. They need to feel valued. They need to feel. They don't, need, they don't just need to hear it. They have a need to feel, to feel, to feel valued. In fact, our wives have the need to know that when it comes to them, they are the priority relationship in the house, not the kids. You with me on that? Not the kids. Now, we deal with this all the time. And I told you about this before. You know, um, my kids know Corey is the queen. She's the queen. And I've, I've, I've flat out told them, you know, um, whenever, you know, whenever somebody invites me to go preach uh, at a conference to them, uh, f- for them, and, and they'll give me, they'll offer me two tickets. Corey, she, if she wants to go, she goes. And I remember one time I got two tickets to go to Dubai. Just had to preach in Dubai. I said, okay, here am I, send me. And my kids were going, no fair. Why does mom get to go? I told her, because I love her more than I love you. You need to tell your kids that. In fact, if she wasn't here, you wouldn't be here. If you're a little older, I'll show you how that works, okay? But um, that's the idea there. Our wives need to know, they need to feel valued. Now watch this. He says, showing honor to the woman, here it is, as the weaker vessel. Now this is a problem. A lot of, a lot of preachers are guilty of pastoral malpractice because they take this phrase weaker vessel to entrench into people a culture of inferiority. Peter is not saying by calling women weaker vessels, he's not devaluing them. Here's how I want you to see it. In your home, you have two kinds of vessels in your cabinet right now. You have two kinds of vessels. One kind is maybe a plastic cup like this. 
I got a cheap cup, got from Pine Cove. You know, we got some uh, 7-Eleven big gulps in our house. Um, these are plastic. Who cares? Who, who cares what happens to these? We, we don't, you know, just who cares? We drop it. Nothing's going to happen to it. Step it. Step on it. It'll bounce right back into place. Who cares? Right? This thing just all of a sudden, just this stage is anointed. It just popped right back on. But who cares what, what happens to it, right? I mean, you, you don't, you're, you're not really careful with how you handle it. But then we've got other kinds. We've got other kinds of vessels. And we're careful with how we treat these. Um, It's a vessel. And yes, it's weaker, but it's more valuable. I handle this with care. Husbands, you know what Peter is saying when he calls your wife the weaker vessel? She ain't one of the boys. She ain't one of the fellas. Stop treating her like some of the homies. Handle her with care. Part of what that means is, I just want to issue a challenge. Because Peter says, live with her in an understanding way. The idea of understanding is the idea of the ability to emotionally and intimately connect well with her. That's how we handle with care. Well, what does this look like? It could look like middle of the day, in between meetings. Just send her a text. Hey, baby, I'm just thinking about you. I don't want nothing. In fact, you know, are your legs tired? Because they've been running through my mind all day. You know, if that don't work, come up with something that does work, right? On the way home, stop by Whole Paycheck, I mean Whole Foods, and pick up, pick up some flowers on a day other than her birthday, anniversary, or some kind of holiday. I once went to a seminar I gotta be careful how I say this. Um, I once went to a seminar. I don't even know what the seminar was titled. I just know one was up there teaching, and um, I'm gonna I'm I'm dress up the language a little bit. I'll let you deter- to interpret the parable. Um, but I went to a seminar on woman's teaching, and uh, I just remember the one line she said. I don't remember nothing else she said. The woman teacher said, she says, what men need to understand when it comes to women, marital relations begin at breakfast. I said, oh, I'm a morning person, so that works well for me. (laughs) That was not her point. The point is, you know, a simple touch on her back. A little love note. Text message. I'm thinking about you. Some of y'all are like, really? Oh, shoot, I'm going to send a text message right now. No, no, no. No, 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 no. That, 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 that ruins it. We don't do it for the blessing. But when you do it, you'll probably get blessed. Why? Because we're treating her with value. And Peter says, he says, I love it. Live with her in an understanding way. And I know, men, sometimes we just don't understand. We just, you've had a conversation with your wife and you just think, how did we get here? I don't know how we got here, but we're here. Peter says, live with her in an understanding way. 
I love the story. It's a true story. When the uh, FDA was piloting a certain drug uh, in the United States, they actually wanted to practice it on a group of South American villagers. And so they got permission to uh, test it out on these South American villagers. Now, one of the side effects of the drugs is it set all the women in the village on their time of the month at the same exact time. Now, what all the men in the village did, they figured out as they shared stories that crazy stuff was happening at exactly the same time. So eventually... That week, every month, they would just row out to sea and go fishing for a week. <laughs> that ain't living with our wives in an understanding way. Perhaps this will help us better. I can't, I love this video, won't we cue it up, of, um, of how difficult it can be sometimes to live with our wives in an understanding way. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to <laughs> fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. No, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, you're out. not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just... Don't! Try to see things my way. Do I have to keep on... <laughs> oh, man. It can be hard sometimes. It can be really hard. But that's the call. Now, now, now watch this. Let's just go home on this one. So, two things as we close. Okay, so pastor, I, I, I get it. I need to live with my wife in an understanding way. But what does this practically look like? One thing I would say to you is know your wife's love language. If you don't know what I'm talking about, read a book called The Five Love Languages. Okay, wives, don't go on Amazon and order it for him. <laughs> Let him be a big boy and order it himself. Okay, it's a short book designed for men. Figure out your wife's love language. Speak it often and speak it well. I want you to look at this next graphic. You've seen it before. My commitment to use two to four times every year. We just walk through this graphic. It's called the communication pyramid, right? This is, the, this is one of the keys to emotional health, all right? These are the five levels of communication. Uh, the the deep, further down you go, the deeper the levels of communication become. The most superficial level is cliche, good morning, good morning, how are you? Haven't really said anything. Next two levels are where most guys hang out, facts and opinions, sports center talk. Um, did the Cubs win last night? Really? How many innings did Kershaw pitch? So on and so forth. Um, who's going to win the World Series? These are, these are level two, level three kinds of communications. Now, at the deepest level of communication, communication. Uh, this is your, your indicator light for how well your marriage is doing. 
Because great marriages, at certain times, certain points in a conversation, drop down to level four, level five. My wife and I just had this conversation uh, today, in fact. She came to me, level four. This is how I'm feeling about some things. It is emotive. Transparency, level five. It is sharing who I am. It's authenticity. Now, here's the problem, guys. If we want to live with our wives in an understanding way, when our wives bring something to us, typically they'll come maybe on level four. What we need to do is we can't get stuck in lawyer land level two while she's at level four. If we're to live with her in an understanding way, we need to drop down to level four, be able to connect with her on that emotive level before we resurface back to level two. Now, again, I'm talking in broad stereotypes. Not every woman maybe is designed to hang out in level four, but a lot of women are. So to live, for me to live with Corey in an understanding way, when she comes to me with a nail in her head, instead of me trying to fix it first, I need to drop down and feel with her. I need to be able to connect with her on that level. Now, why is this important? Let's go home on this one. Why is this important? Men, it's huge. Look at the last phrase in verse 7, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let me just shoot you straight. You know what God's saying? If you and your bride ain't right, if you ain't living with your wife in an understanding way, stop praying to me. God is saying, me and you ain't right if the gift I gave to you and her, if y'all two ain't right. It is a myth to think I can emotionally ignore my wife and think that God's going to bless me. It just doesn't work that way. Now, what am I saying here? Is marriage tough? Absolutely it is. There's tough, the thing I hate about marriage, there's no cruise control to marriage. There is none. Your marriage is either going along great or you're drifting apart. There is no in-between. You've got to work hard at it. And there's great seasons to it. And there's tough seasons to it. But if you want to have a great marriage, you've got to put in the work. And here's what I believe, men. I believe that, yes, women are thermometers, but we men are thermostats. We reflect, we, we set the temperature in the home, and she's a reflection of whether or not we're walking through 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And I believe it begins with us. And I believe it begins with us. <sighs> so what have we said? God wants our marriages to be a witness to the world. He does. He wants our marriages to not just say just married. He wants our marriages to be able to, to be a city set on a hill in which our culture goes, yes, I think I'm going to give this thing a shot because I've never seen you or a man treat a woman like that before. I've never seen this first Peter three, seven happen. I've never seen a woman just show respect to a husband like that before. And friends that begins in here, not out there. It begins in here. And it begins in your home. And men, I believe we've got to initiate this. We've got to initiate this. So as we close, I want to pray for marriages. I just, I just, I just, want, to, I just, want, to, I just want to bless marriages. In fact, I want to invite my wife. We didn't even talk about this. But sweetheart, could you even join me on stage? And I, just want, I, just want, I, just want to, I just want to pray for us. 
And um, if you're married um, and you're going, yeah, would you just pray for our marriage? It, it could mean that your marriage is in crisis. Or it could mean that, no, you know, I think our marriage is going along good. I, I want to I see it go from good to great, though. We, we just want to pray prayers of protection and blessing over marriages. So if you feel led as a married couple to come to the altar and to just get some prayer for your marriage, that's how we want to close this service out. Would you meet me at the altar? Or a married individual, that's right. could be in crisis or it could be going well and you just want to see it go to the next level remember the call is we're exiles and we're to be different and a part of what that means is our marriages just look different from marriages out in the world they just look different and people on your your job can sense that people in your neighborhood can sense that just look different. And God's call in your life is not just to make it. He doesn't want your marriage just to make it. There's a bigger vision, bigger call on your marriage than just to make it. He wants your marriage to flourish and to thrive. If you're in the audience, would you just stretch a hand towards these married couples? Just Let's just touch and agree right now in the name of Jesus. Um, sweetheart, won't you pray for the wives? I'll pray for the husbands, and we'll, we'll close out, okay? Lord, we just come to you this morning, Father. I pray for these women. Your word says that you are able to do exceeding abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine. And I pray, Lord God, that um, as a wife for all of these wives, Lord God, that you, you do just that in our marriages. I know how hard it can be at times, Lord God, to be respectful when I allow my, my flesh to just uh, take over instead of walking in the fullness and the power of your spirit, Lord. So I pray for these women that you would help each of us, Lord God, um, to walk fully in your power, that we would love our husbands and respect them well, that we would be subject to them as hard as that can be at times, Lord God. But I pray, Father, that... Um, you would give us that strength. I pray, Lord God, that um, we would have the courage, Lord God, to be open and honest about our emotions and our feelings, which oftentimes isn't very difficult. But, Lord, I do pray um, that you would help us to um, to do that with our husbands, Lord God, and to, to share what's going on instead of holding it uh, inside, Lord God, that, they would, that we would have transparency and vulnerability in our marriages, Lord God. Father, I thank you for these women. I thank you, Lord God, um, for their lives. And I pray, Lord, that they would keep you at the center, Lord God, of their heart and lives, Lord God. Because the truth of the matter is we can't be, 
we can't be godly women and godly wives without you, and we need you, Lord God. And so I pray, Father, that um, you would be the center um, and that you would control, Lord God, um, our heart and our lives, I pray in Christ's name. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for the husbands, Lord God. Uh, God, I, I pray that they don't feel beat up on in this message. We get enough of that in our culture, Lord God. I pray that you would infuse them with a godly confidence that says, that says they can do it, Lord God. They may not have seen this in their home growing up. They may not have had a blueprint for what a godly dad looks like, Lord God. But we've got the scriptures and we've got you as our heavenly father as an example, Lord Jesus. So I pray that we would look to the hills from which cometh our help and know that our help comes from the Lord, Father God. And when, not if, but when we mess up and we don't lead the way that we should, may we be quick and humble enough to apologize and to seek forgiveness in the name of Jesus, God. God, help us to live with our wives in an understanding way, Lord God. Uh, Not out of obligation, not because we want something in return, but because it, it esteems her and it shows her honor and she needs to feel valued, Lord God. So teach us what it looks like to connect with our wives in a level four, level five kind of a way in the name of Jesus. God, divorce is ravaging the bay. It's ravaging the bay, Lord God. And people, they they don't need to just read about good marriages. They need to see great marriages that have Christ in the center. So I pray over every single marriage today. I pray against the spirit of divorce in the name of Jesus. I pray against divorce, Lord God. I, I, I pray, Lord God, for every single marriage. I pray against the spirit of cohabitation where you have married folk just hanging on by a thread, sharing bills, sharing space, but not sharing hearts, not sharing lives in the name of Jesus, Lord God. So breathe new life back into marriages, I pray in the name of Jesus. Restore unto these marriages the years that the locusts have taken, Lord God. I pray for these marriages that their latter days would be greater than their former days in the name of Jesus, Lord God. And I I pray, Lord God, that where there's help needed, that, that they would be quick to cry out for help, Lord God, and that they, Lord God, would be filled with your spirit and their marriages would be set up as a city set on a hill. It is in Jesus name. I pray. Amen. And amen. One more thing. One more thing. I want us all to stand. We're going to say this um, blessing together as we leave. This is the last thing we're going to do. If you want to know Christ as Lord and Savior, there'll be a door that's open to my right, to your left. Some people there would love to meet with you, but we're going to say this blessing together and has to do with marriage. And at the end of it, you're going to hear me say, you are sent. We do this every week. It's a new thing we're adding to abundant life. I I want you to get this, that yet we've come to church. We've gotten what we've needed, but now we're going to break huddle. We're going to go out there and we're going to live this thing out to the glory of God. Say this with me. Holy Father, in a world filled with broken and failed marriages, you long for Christian marriage to offer hope and change. May the marriages of abundant life be a witness to the Bay Area, to the power of Christ, inspiring people to not only wed, but to have Christ at the center of their unions because they see Christ at the center of ours. Amen. You are sent. God bless you. See you next week. Thanks for coming.